0: Time for dig deep on KAXE, KBXE, we're member supported radio in northern Minnesota. Life has been very busy for Aaron Brown, for Chuck Marone, for myself, but the world has continued to go on, and there are many things to discuss from their points of view. Aaron Brown is our liberal commentator; you know him from Minnesota Brown. Chuck Marone, our conservative commentator from Strong Towns. I want to say welcome back, happy twenty twenty one. Even though I didn't hear as many people say happy twenty twenty one this year oh, they do other year's new
1: year, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a new year. It's 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 good. I think it's it's well, it's not twenty twenty anymore, and I guess that's good enough.
0: Yeah. Let's start our conversation today about kind of where we find ourselves in the world, especially let let's hone in on Minnesota right now. I've been enmeshed in Minnesota politics over the last year and watching, trying to report on this divide between Democrats and Republicans, seeing the governor kind of govern through executive orders and how not only Republicans respond, but people respond. What do you think the future is looking like? We're right in the in the session right now. The governor's just announcing budget and constant COVID updates. Where do we find ourselves right now? What are you guys thinking in terms of Minnesota?
2: To me, I, I sit back and I look at... The idea that I think many people were hoping for, which is November, would be a declaration of of sorts. We would go one way or we would go the other down a path, and the electorate would be clear on on what should happen. You know, in Minnesota, and maybe this isn't what people had in mind when they were going to the polls, but I, I think this is what leadership in the state was looking. You have a governor who has governed largely through executive, you know, largely on his own, independently. That gives me a little bit of discomfort. I mean, I would like the governing in a time of crisis to be bipartisan, to involve the legislature and the governor, to be more united. I think a lot of us would, but that hasn't happened. And I think we can argue over why it hasn't happened. I, I think that both sides have legitimate gripes with the other side of, of why this hasn't happened. But nonetheless, we find ourselves in November, I think, kind of hoping for a referendum of sorts. Are we okay with the governor's approach of kind of going in on his own because of, you know, intransigent on the other side, not being able to work with them. Or, or are we going to say, you know, no, you governor, you've not been responsive. You've not done a, a good job. You should involve the legislature. You should defer to them in a sense. And, uh, and we, you know, are going to have a, a smackdown in, in, a, in a sense and in, in a repudiation of the governor's policy. Well, we wound up with a draw. We wound up with a, a tie, I think the tension that we feel over the lack of resolution, you have that really at every level of government. We we are tied and really can't decide, do we go left? Do we go right? And I don't mean that politically. I'm, I'm kind of just speaking metaphorically. Which path do we take? We don't know. We're kind of equally split. And so I think there's a little bit of frustration that is shared broadly by people because in the absence of... A consensus policy, what you get is this continual muddling through. You get a governor trying to do, I I think, legitimately trying to do what he thinks is best in the absence of anything but kind of threats from the other side. You know, we're going to use the power we have in the legislature to, to thwart you here and here and snip at you where we can. You have legitimate concerns of the leadership in the Senate, which is the opposite party the governor not being taken seriously and i think not being taken seriously largely because they're they're not being represented at the table and 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 that's an issue. So where we go from here i think is really difficult because there's nothing in in the future here to break this logjam if these people don't want to work together and see a gain from not doing it.
1: It, it is unusual minnesota has become one of the only places in the whole country where we've consistently had this divided government, Uh, not just between the governor and the legislature that does happen more often, but where the house and Senate, the two wings of the legislative branch are almost always divided (laughs) the last several years. I mean, there've been a few exceptions, but we've had divided government, either a governor and, and a legislature or the two branches of the legislature um, divided for, for some time. And, and, and Chuck said muddling through. If you observe state government, not just the legislature, but how that manifests in the government and whether that's budgeting or planning or new ideas coming or going, it's all muddling. We're all just get through to the next one and see what happens. And what keeps happening are some inevitable things when the state government contracts too much or isn't responsive to the needs of people who use state services, whether it's education or healthcare or something, then the DFL has a big year. And then when too much money gets spent or they don't like taxes or something else happens that is a testament against government spending, then the Republicans come back. And neither side, though, ever really gets a clean win, like Chuck just described. And so it's always muddling along. And we've kind of moved past kind of a nostalgic notion of let's just split the difference. Democrats want to spend this much. Republicans want to spend this much. Let's go in between. Well, we've kind of moved to a point where I think Chuck might agree that conservatives now see through that and they don't want to split the difference because it always means more. And so they've gone on the more obstructionist route of, well, we just won't do the thing if you don't see it our way because that's their best negotiating position, and it kind of started to be really prevalent under the Pawlenty years, because Pawlenty was able to use the the governorship, even when both houses of the legislature were uh, Democratic, he was able to use the executive branch to kind of perch up and say, "I won't, I won't pass that. I won't, I won't sign that. I won't sign that." Well, then it flipped and under the Dayton and now under the Walls years where the Democrat has the main office, they're doing the same thing on the legislative side. You kind of wonder, like, what would this actually look like if the Republicans did have the whole run of the thing, which they have not had in a very long time? And would it be as draconian as they're proposing or would they well, what is the idea? But we don't know that. And we've only briefly had democratic control of all the houses, and that's never lasted much more than two years. So it it is like, what is the path forward? I think that's the question Chuck and I are trying to get at, is what's the path forward? If this is the way we're doing it, what is the path forward for big problems? Whether it's a service the state provides, whether it's a taxation system, environmental law, I mean all of the above, all the things the state does. What is our way forward? And it, it only seems to be amplified by the fact or exacerbated by the fact that the political ideological divide in the country has now permeated down to the lowest levels of of the electorate or I shouldn't say the electorate but of the, the government system, so like it was a national thing, now it's down at the local level and city councilors have to take a position on Trump or, yeah. uh, or whatever, you know, and, and it's like, so now it's way down at the bottom, and everyone's got their ideological divide, even in a neighborhood. And so legislators are coming out that are frankly just flamethrowers, you know, they're for the clicks, you know, they're for the likes and the shares on social media, and uh, to gum up and stick it to the other side. And I, I'm I'm agreeing that that there are representatives or examples of that on both sides of the Uh, Body. I mean, we're seeing, you know, some pretty prominent Republican examples these days. But if there's those kinds of folks in the House and Senate and you have a handful of moderates or experienced hands who know how to do a budget, who can't do the budget they want to do and don't have the votes to work with the other side because neither of them can deliver their, their extremist wings, we're just stuck. And so that gives us what we have, which which is walls, doing everything he can by executive order.
2: I've been on this station for uh, two decades now. Aaron brought up Pawlenty, and I I remember in the Pawlenty administration talking about these things and saying we have structural problems that need to be resolved and need to be fixed, and we're just doing Band-Aids, and it's just getting us through to the next session, and we really need these structural fixes. We are still in that same scenario where we really have not structurally changed anything. And let me give you an example. And I, I hope this doesn't discredit me with too much of our audience. If, if we take uh, the issue of healthcare, I would say that the best approach to me is one that leans into an individual approach where we empower individuals within a marketplace. We de-emphasize insurance companies, we de-emphasize government payments, and, and we emphasize individuals and individual empowerment. I think the second best option would be a single payer system, one that kind of defines the rules, releases the shackles from business and allows our system to kind of evolve in a way that I think would really free up our economy. The worst system is the one we have now. And so in a sense, like I do not support a single payer system. But if you say we're going to have another two decades of muddling through with this terrible system we have now, which I think is robbing not only individuals of good health care, but businesses and economy of growth and opportunity, entrepreneurs of the capacity to start up and do things and take risks, I think it's the worst of all systems. To me, the idea that we're just going to like not resolve this thing, we're just going to kind of be at a stalemate for decades is the worst possible thing for Minnesota. And that's as someone who doesn't want single payer but would prefer it over the current status that we have now. Does that make sense,
1: Aaron? Like I'm- it absolutely does. I In order to get my preferred system... And I don't want your your preferred system, let's say, I'm willing to tolerate a system we both agree sucks. Yeah, yeah. that we agree with the worst, right? Yeah, that, that is probably couldn't be designed in a laboratory to be less efficient and of any good to the public uh, welfare. Because, yeah, we have a system that is formed to protect the industry that comes between a patient and their healthcare provider. And it is a private industry. And in fact, it's complicated by the fact that these industries are now part of our 401ks. And so, you know, you don't want to go after the big insurance companies because if they go bankrupt or go out of business, your 401k and your pensions go out, you know, it, it, this is interconnected disaster of a system. You know, I'm home more these days because of COVID. And, and if on lunch, if I turn the TV on, you get the daytime TV ads. And it's an ad for a private company telling me how I can get Medicare to spend more money on me Um, if I call them and they tell me what to apply for so I can get whatever that is that I obviously didn't need uh, because I didn't think of it. (laughs) And so now you've got the government spending, which could be more focused on people with needs, going toward this mechanism of grifterism, really, that, that goes on. And it's so frustrating. And you think, yeah, so let's look at our current let's let's not change anything cuz we you know we know that you can hope for the perfect thing for your side or the other side and and you know it doesn't happen. So let's just look at our current legislature. I think the question is how do we map out solutions for a big problem like healthcare with a governor walls and a republican senate and a democratic house. Uh, what does that look like? And this is where I think we get to like what is the proposal that has any chance of passing both of those houses and being signed by the governor. And that's where we get stuck. It looks like a Band-Aid. And
2: I feel like this is the conundrum, is that we actually need – I'm not one for, like, you should defeat your rival and then rub their face in the sand and, like, move on. But in a sense, we need to make some decisions about the direction we're going to go, and not just on healthcare, but on energy, on transportation, on the role of government, on you know a whole bunch of things. You look at this range of issues, and we really have kind of reached a a point of stagnation. And as someone who is conservative, uh, someone who believes in bottom up action and believes in local communities, I am I'm a little perplexed because. The, the side of the political divide that would tend more towards my point of view has really abandoned the idea that there are reforms that should take place. I, I'm, I'm 47. That means the first election that really was a, a big deal for me was the 94 Republican Revolution, the Newt Gingrich contract with America. I, I voted in 92 when Clinton beat Bush. But '94 was really like the time where I stood up and I'm like, yes, like the, my team is is winning, and we were winning because we had ideas, we had reforms, we had specific things we wanted to do. You look today, and and my biggest fear for Republicans and for this side of the aisle that I would like to see more, you know, eloquently represented, is that it has found that it can achieve this stalemate, this parody, by just simply being no. I'm no, I'm against a lot of what progressives want to do at the state level, at the federal level, particularly at the local level. I embrace a lot of it. But at those levels, I I really am very skeptical of the big top down approach and the big government approach. But there is no analog right now. There is nothing coming out of Republican talking points, think tanks, uh, idea centers, policy institutes that would have like a coherent plan. So, Erin, you asked the question, like, what would happen if Republicans controlled the entire government? We saw that the first two years of Trump. And what happened? Nothing happened.
1: Nothing I was going to say that, yeah. I'm not a conservative, and so I don't dare speak for for you and your fellow conservatives, Chuck. But if I were, if I can imagine that, I would be very frustrated, especially with those first two years. When I'm glad you empathize because I am very frustrated. Uh, yeah, because earlier, Chuck, you mentioned the two kinds of health systems you could look at both being, in your eyes, better than the current system. And yours involved more personal responsibility. I heard that and I thought, interesting. I'd like to know more about that. And I thought uh, when Republicans uh, won in 2016 at the federal level, and, and it had run on uh, uh, why would against you think Obamacare. That? Because they spent eight years campaigning for it? They campaigned yeah. against Obamacare and they res- resisted every inch of it for as long as they could. And then they get it. They actually get everything, which almost never happens. And, uh, well, I guess we kind of have it now, although that Senate's awfully tight. But they get it. They get the, the dream. And then the big moment comes. And not only do they not really have a plan to replace Obamacare, however they want to structure it, But they can't even pass the bill that would – they can't even repeal it. They they said over and over and over.
2: It was the mantra since since the thing passed in 2010. If you elect Republicans, this is what we will do. And it was the base thing and they could not do it. Not only could they not replace it with like an intellectually sound plan that would actually be based on conservative principles and make people better off, which I think there's a plan out there that could do that. They didn't even entertain that. They just couldn't even get to that because they couldn't even rescind the thing they didn't like. Mm -hmm. That's that is an ineffective opposition. And I, I think it does say something about America right now today, because the fact that we are tied. This is the way I interpret it. And I want you to interpret it differently, Aaron, because I think there's two sides to this. But I look at it and I say people are rejecting the Democrat plans because they're literally choosing like none of the above because that's what republicans are right now it's like none of the above they want something else but there is nothing else there's no other plan on the table there's no other option it's either continue this malaise and this this bad way of operating or pick this other approach which you know half of america doesn't want um go ahead and give a different interpretation yeah. on that.
1: Well i don't know that uh you know i don't want to be in a in a spin room here I don't know that all of the democratic plans are rejected by this margins you describe, but I will say that the democratic plans are not really ideologically. If we picture the perfect ideological world, we were just doing it with the conservatives. Now, what if progressives had their perfect world? I mean, this two years that we were in right now at the federal level, is going to probably be just as disappointing for Democrats as the first two years of Trump were for Republicans, even though both sides won't admit that uh, because we have to win the next one. So, yeah, I, I totally see what you mean there. I think there is something wrong with the mechanism of how we get from idea to policy through this political system, which is frankly corrupt and inefficient and horrible. Why would you want to be in Congress? Are you going to do some good in this world? Joe, you know, we not. need we need a good old we need a good old dictator to just set things right. Well, no, <laughs> uh, but that's it's like that, that. Pretty soon, you talk about the options that we have, if we're not willing to do anything, I mean, this is the route we're going down. Yeah, it is. That's and, what's scary to me. Yeah, that's what's scary because I don't, I don't want a dictator, even if they're on my side. And and there's a, a I think a, a lot of people out there who would say that. But a lot of people are getting to the point where they would they want their side to have a dictator, and and that's that's how bad things happen. I've read some history books, and that's what we are in danger of really happening.
0: That's Aaron Brown and Chuck Marone. It's dig deep in our next segment. We will talk about dictatorship and corruption and all those sorts of things. So you want to stay tuned in a
1: fun way.